Roxy, we'll be talking about the menfolk today. Mm. I have a little word quiz for you. Ooh. These are all port man toes. Ooh. What is manscaping? <laughs> I think that's like grooming your nether regions. I will allow it. It's technically men grooming anything below their neck. Oh, yeah. Their abs, their legs, blah, blah, blah. Like shaving. Yes. Yeah. What about man spreading? Oh, I know this one because I ride the subway. It's when <laughs> a man sits down and spreads his legs so wide that no one can sit on either side of him for like two or three seats. Very annoying. It is annoying. Uh, last one. This is my favorite. What's a mantrum? A mantrum. I think that's just called Twitter or X. Ding, ding, ding. From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a podcast from two Christian women managing just fine. Thank you in old Manhattan. I'm Roxy Stone. And I'm Caitlin Beatty from Brooklyn. I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. This week on The State of Belief. I felt like if anyone was going to be speaking up, it was going to have to be somebody like me. Faithful conversations around sexual orientation and gender identity in Texas with Auburn Peterson of Another Story. Also, getting ready for the 2024 vote with Adam Friedman, organizing an election strategist at Interfaith Alliance. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. The State of Belief is a weekly podcast with a potent mix of spiritual wisdom, political strategy, and hopeful commentary. In a series of inspiring conversations, celebrating our diversity, and bringing us together to, in the words of the great James Baldwin, achieve our country. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. Roxy, we had talked about going to see the Barbie movie together this mm. summer, and I was sad that didn't happen, but I understand you did. We both saw it. Yes. What did you think? Oh, well, I loved it. I did feel like I missed the moment a little. Like, I wish I'd gone to see it when everyone went to see it, when everybody was, like, all dressed up and the hype was there. But I still really enjoyed it. I laughed a lot. I was surprised at all the horses. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was a great time. I really did. And and I actually thought it was like cleverer than I expected it to be. It was so funny. I laughed so much. It felt very perfectly pitched to our age cohort yeah. of women. I had many of the toys featured in the movie. Yes. And I and I delighted a lot in being like, ooh, ooh, I recognize that little scene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I also thought it was really touching. Like, it was mm. super funny, but also surprisingly deep, just about aging and mortality and what it means to be, like, embodied as a human who will die someday. And so I thought it did a lot. Mm -hmm. I was surprised how much of the Barbie movie was actually about Ken. That's true. Ken has a real, a real journey of discovery that he goes on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, he's basically a lost boy, you know, craves the attention of Barbie throughout the movie, who's amazing and basically a goddess and played by Margot Robbie. and Also um, a goddess. Right, exactly. And as the more that Barbie finds herself, 
the further Ken seems to get from himself. Right. And so this is where the horses come in. <laughs> Ken, mm-hmm. right. Ken and Barbie journey from the Barbie world to the real world. And once Ken gets there, he's kind of lost. And then he learns basically about patriarchy. Like, <laughs> oh, in the real world, men have all this power and they defer to each other and they just get things handed to them. And right. in the security next to the greatness of Barbie, he basically dabbles in toxic masculinity and tries to import it back into the Barbie world. Yes, the Barbie world up until that point had been a matriarchy, I guess, like a place where women were really like in charge and powerful and had all of this agency and beautiful houses. And I don't even know where the men slept. (laughs) Yeah. Their their life outside of Barbie did not matter, basically. Exactly, exactly. It definitely triggered some mantrums online. Um, Mm -hmm. we We saw a lot of men respond to this flipped world and talk a lot about, you know, well, this is what's this is what feminism does to the world. And and I think, you know, the movie could be read like a lot of different ways. But I think what I saw and what I saw even in people's responses was how much it spoke to sort of an unfolding crisis of male identity in mm-hmm. the real world, mm-hmm. not just the plastic world. Right. This summer, around the same time that the movie came out, uh, the Washington Post columnist Christine Emba, who's also a friend of the show, wrote a really great essay titled, Men Are Lost, Here's a Map Out of the Wilderness. And the subtitle of this article could have been, Men Are in Their Flop Era. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) across the board, men today are lagging behind women in most areas of success. The school, jobs, levels of happiness. And so her article was really about what what's going on with men today. And she also pointed out that they are sort of increasingly drawn to these hyper ideas of masculinity, misogyny, mm-hmm. violent images of manhood on the internet, these manfluencers. I guess we're just going to keep all of the male portmanteaus going this whole episode. <laughs> Let's Why see not? how many we can work in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, she's, you know, in... Again, as men are sort of facing this larger crisis, part of where they're turning for security or for a sense of direction is a place that offers a more extreme version of an idea Mm -hmm. of masculinity that they maybe grew up with. And so it is a sort of doubling down. It's a sort of like, well, Mm -hmm. if the world isn't going to appreciate this, I will appreciate or elevate my place in the world that I will have to sort of take it by force or I will have to prove Mm. that masculinity is the superior way to be in the world. Mm -hmm. We'll get to all of that and more in our conversation with Christine coming up. But first, regarding this men being in their flop era, the masculinity (laughs) crisis, we should probably get a grasp on just how bad the crisis is. Mm. Are you suggesting a data dump? I thought we said we weren't going to say dump, but yes. This is an episode about men. They love dumps. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> uh, are you saying women don't poop, Roxy? That's sexist. Uh, we just don't talk about it in the same way. <laughs> well, in the Beatty family, we do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A doodly data dump. 
Numbers are your jam, Roxy. So I'll let you start. Hit me with some of the findings out there on this masculinity crisis. All right. Let's start with the job market. From 1999 to 2018, men ages 25 to 34 accounted for the biggest drop in employment. While men still make more than women on the dollar, young men's wages have been on a downward slope since 1970 and fell significantly from 2000 to 2010. And as wages have fallen, more men ages 18 to 34 are now living with their parents. Welcome to the man cave. Men are also lagging behind in education. They receive about 74 bachelor's degrees for every 100 awarded to women and also account for more than 70% of the decline in college enrollment. Men are also more likely than women to stay unmarried. In 1990, men and women ages 25 to 54 were equally likely to be unpartnered, around 30% for each group. By 2019, 39% of men were unpartnered compared with 36% of women. The man session extends Mm. to the bedroom. I was surprised to read this because of how much men on the internet enjoy talking about their sex lives. But according to Pew, about 30% of young men reported in 2019 that they had had no sex in the past year compared to about 20% of young women. And only half of single men are actively seeking relationships or even casual dates. Cue the incel chat rooms. Mm -hmm. And on a more somber note, men account for almost three of every four deaths of despair either from suicide, alcohol abuse, or an overdose. These trends are affecting boys and men across racial groups, but especially working class boys and men. Given these sobering stats, we are eager to hear from Christine about what these numbers tell us and try to figure out a potential way forward. Christine Emba is a columnist for the Washington Post and author of the book, Rethinking Sex, A Provocation. She also has the honor of being the first four-time SBTC guest. I think that the sexes rise and fall together. I mean, women have brothers, we have male friends, we have partners. If all of the men around us are falling apart, that also affects our lives. We're not going to be happy either. Our conversation with Christine is coming up just after the break. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. From Mark Driscoll's meltdowns... (laughs) (laughs) From Mark Driscoll's meltdown to monster truck evangelism, RNS is here for it all. And if you like what we're doing at Save by the City, let us know. Throw us a rating or review. It goes a long way toward helping get the word out about the show. This week, we want to give a special thank you to listener Amy Montravati, who tweeted, I commend to you the podcast Save by the City from RNS, hosted by Roxy Stone and Caitlin Beatty. They are two clever, hilarious ladies who love Jesus in New York City, and they offer their commentary on all sorts of church-adjacent issues for your edification. Aw, thanks, Amy. Thanks, Amy. We'll see if the manscaping felt edifying to our listeners. Speaking of edifying... We still want your weirdest ever date stories. They keep rolling in. If you have one, you know what to do. Visit the Save by the City hotline at speakpipe.com slash Save by the City. And one lucky participant will get some SBTC swag. You can also email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hey there, curious minds. Get ready to embark on a unique journey at the crossroads of money and religion with our new podcast, Money Meet Meeting. The seductive effect of money, we think it can do the work that God does because there's something about money that does that. It's wild. I'm Amber Hacker. And I'm Tom Levinson. 
Tune in for a blend of wisdom and levity as we decode the path to a more meaningful relationship with money. I think giving, and this is a little crass, but I feel like it's the ultimate middle finger to money. It's liberating to give some away. This podcast is your gateway to a vibrant and thought-provoking exploration of the interconnectedness of wealth and spirituality. Join us as we unravel the surprising influence of ancient wisdom on modern finances. Faith pervades people's lives and our society. And because money is such an important part of people's lives, exploring that intersection of faith and money, I think is super, super interesting. Get ready to be informed, entertained, and inspired to transform your financial outlook with Money Meet Meaning. Available wherever you get your podcasts. We're grateful to welcome back friend of the pod, Christine Emba. Christine is an opinion columnist and member of the editorial board for the Washington Post and author of Rethinking Sex, a Provocation. Hey, um, hey Emba. Hey, Emba. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, sure. that's what all my friends call me, actually. So. Oh, Great. really? Oh, I like it. Okay. Actually, yes. Yeah, I feel like a friend of the pod now. <laughs> you are a friend of the pod. And we're really happy to have you back. <laughs> yeah, amazing. <laughs> One of the reasons we wanted to have you back was because you wrote a fantastic and deep dive essay for the Washington Post this summer, and you cataloged this identity crisis for men today. So basically, you're reporting on the fact that men aren't doing well, Mm. especially compared with women. What were some of the themes that really emerged as you spoke with men for this essay? Yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. Even the headline of the piece was men are lost. And basically it was exactly that, that men aren't doing well. A lot of men, I think, feel confused in this moment about what it means to be a man, what masculinity looks like in a modern world, just sort of how to be mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, they they weren't so confused about just decades ago. And this is due to, I think, social and economic change on a really broad scale, but we're seeing its effects show up in actual data now that men are falling behind and are struggling in what feels like new and perhaps dangerous ways. And the ramifications of that for some men, I think, are really socially sad. There's a feeling of of loneliness, of not being able to achieve. Mm. When you talk to men, you know, more than one out of seven men say they have no close friends at all. Mm. That's crazy. Men report higher rates of loneliness, of suicidality. Um, They died at higher rates during the COVID pandemic. And they're just not looking healthy mm-hmm. as a gender. Things seem to be mm-hmm. in decline. All of us spend probably too much time on the internet and <laughs> have surely come across corners of the manosphere, as you mm. called it in the Washington Post piece. Talk about what is the manosphere? <laughs> so I have to say, I, I didn't coin the term manosphere, but I like to think I coined the term manfluencer. Ooh. Um, <laughs> Good one. But I think I really began to encounter the manosphere after I went to a Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. tour stop. So for those who are not familiar, Jordan Peterson is this Canadian psychologist um, turned advisor to lost young men. His book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos, came out in the 2018 and was 
a dark horse, massive bestseller. Mm -hmm. Like there are more than 5 million copies of this book now in circulation. But he actually became famous first on the internet. He had these lectures about like how to be a person, how to be a man. And they just began to circulate online, YouTube videos. And a lot of men just young men in particular, related to them Mm -hmm. and shared them and reshared them. And yeah, the manosphere, which is what, um, it's a term that we use to describe the sort of web of different websites, forums, videos, and influencers, manfluencers, who create content that's geared towards usually young men Mm -hmm. that ostensibly addresses questions of masculinity and how to be a man. Often there's like a lot of workout content and inspirational (laughs) phrasing. Meat content. Yeah. There's so much meat content. Yeah. Meat is a really big part of it. Like soy products are part of the weakening. Yeah. Soy boys. That's soy boys. (laughs) Like hunter gatherer societies. Right. There's a, there's a manfluencer literally called raw egg nationalist who loves to chug eggs on video and it is gross to me, but apparently he has a following, but actually that, that brings us to kind of the darker side of the manosphere, Mm -hmm. raw egg nationalist. So Mm -hmm. many of these Mm -hmm. man sites are ostensibly for helping men become better, but a lot of them kind of curdle or lead to darker places where it's not just about men, here's how you can become better. It's men, here's how women and feminism have ruined your life, uh, are ruining America. Uh, Often there's like a a really intense political leaning and sometimes Mm -hmm. almost apolitical. It's nationalism, it's Trumpism, or it's an even darker sort of return to like almost nihilism. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm. you have people like Bronze Age pervert, um, also known as BAP, who is like an anonymous uh, internet guy who posts pictures of like Greek statues and sort of homoerotic men exercising and is really racist. It's almost like cosplaying like a pre-Christian time of gods and war. And mm-hmm. actually there's a kind of uh, disdain for Christianity because Christianity is for the weak. Right. Like the ideal men to people like Bap and Andrew Tate, who was oh and still is famous. Um, he was a manfluencer who was a kickboxer and then eventually started this like website where he taught men how to get a PhD, which stood for pimping and hose degree. <laughs> classy. Yeah, super classy. And turns out he was actually doing that. Right. He yeah. <laughs> is currently under arrest in Romania for charges of human trafficking and mm-hmm. rape and forming an organized criminal gang. But all of these men put forward this vision of masculinity that's no longer about responsibility or any sort of moral code. It's more about mm-hmm. exactly like cosplaying Nietzsche. Men are men are meant to be marauding misogynistic warriors who take what they can get and the best by which we mean fiercest and toughest man wins. And that's the end of the game, which is a really Mm -hmm. corrosive definition Mm -hmm. of masculinity to give to a young guy who's just trying to figure out how to exist in the world. But if Mm -hmm. it's the one on offer, you know, and Mm -hmm. this young guy doesn't feel like he has better role models in his life, um, whether it's because he doesn't have a strong father figure, doesn't like know older men from church or school mm-hmm. or work or whatever, you know, you take what you can get. 
and that has really bad outcomes. Well, and part of what we have seen, right, is that these websites, YouTube, other more, even more dangerous places. Like once you watch one, it feeds you up another one, feeds you up another one, feeds you up another one. So it's like the algorithm is suddenly like, this is the, this is the content that you're getting. So it doesn't take long for lost boys to go down these dangerous rabbit holes. Yeah. Yeah, No, I mean, I guess I I started this spiel by talking about, you know, Jordan Peterson and his book, 10 Rules for Life was when it came out, ostensibly like not terrible advice. Mm -hmm. Uh, I first Mm -hmm. wrote about it and was like, oh, this is advice that maybe you should have learned from your father or grandfather, but it's not necessarily bad. Like one of the 10 rules was clean your room. (laughs) Um, And one was stand up straight with your shoulders back. You know, it's like, oh, that's Mm -hmm. decent advice. I literally just like sat up a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. And like, oh, yeah, (laughs) cool. Um, But you know, you, you watch Jordan Peterson videos and then it feeds you something a little bit, a little bit stronger, a little bit more intense. Maybe it's an Andrew Tate mm-hmm. video. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of spirals from there. And even Peterson himself has gotten kind of crazier and wilder the mm-hmm. more time he spent marinating in the manosphere with all of these other characters. Mm-hmm. I think that the three of us would share an instinct that like, why should we worry about men? Basically, like, haven't they had it great for all of human history? And maybe they (laughs) should just, like, get over it and give women a chance to have a a good few years. (laughs) Hopefully more than a few. That's all we can count on. We We only have a few years left. (laughs) But why, why should good feminists care about the masculinity crisis and care about, like, helping men get back up on top? I mean, it's really understandable, honestly, that feeling, because you're right. Like we, <laughs> we frequently talk about a patriarchy and like we, there is data that men happen on top. And in fact, if you look at, you know, the other statistics, uh, I looked at the data from the, the S&P 500 and there are still more men mm-hmm. in the S&P 500 as CEOs who are named Michael or John than there right. are women at all, period. But actually most men are not those men. Mm-hmm. Um, most men are not CEOs. Most men are not president. More men are struggling than you might think. But also, you know, men are people too. <laughs> if we want to be empathetic to to people, to other humans, like we also have to treat men like people. Um, and whether their sorrows are necessarily justified in our eyes um, doesn't elide the fact that they're experiencing them. And then of course, there's mm-hmm. the fact that this isn't like a zero sum game, you know, mm-hmm. the feminist movement was great for women, women's achievements, women's ability to hold a job, to leave abusive marriages, um, to, you know, get an education. That's great. Um, but noticing that men are struggling doesn't mean that we have to, or that we want to take that away from women or that we mm-hmm. want to turn our attention from helping women thrive. Mm-hmm. Our understanding of politics these days is that it's zero sum, that the pie is really small. And if yeah. you pay attention to one thing, you're necessarily not paying attention to another. And I, I just don't think that's correct. Um, mm-hmm. But finally, I think also the most important thing, right, maybe you should have said this first, is that I think that the sexes rise and fall together. Mm-hmm. I mean, women have brothers, we have male friends, we have partners. If all of the men around us are falling apart, that also affects our lives. We're mm-hmm. not going to be happy either. You know, I, I've written a lot about 
dating and relationships and sexual culture. And one of the downsides to the fact that men seem lost and men are struggling is that women are looking around and they're like, wait, I, I want to find a partner, but everyone's a disaster. <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? And so like that has ramifications for women too. It's not just a male problem. Mm-hmm. As a society, mm-hmm. we're intertwined. Yeah, we should have you back on to talk about everyone around me is a disaster. <laughs> Which I know. Roxy and I have talked about before, but it's a um, tough moment. It's a, it's a tough every moment. Every single time we all get together in New York, it's like this circle of amazing women. And we're like, uh, why is everybody single? <laughs> like, we should, Yeah. So it strikes me that a lot of people in certain circles, maybe particularly more conservative Christian circles, but probably elsewhere too, sort of posit the solution to this as being like, well, we need to get back to stronger gender roles so that people can understand what their place in the world is. And that's part of the confusion here is that women used to know their place and men used to know their place and now nobody knows their place. Like, how do you see a world where, like, it doesn't have to be that for this to be, for us to be okay in relation to one another as men and women? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I do think that this problem of masculinity, this, this problem of not understanding manliness, um, does have to be understood in the real world. I think the mm-hmm. there's a, a tendency to oppose the sort of like know your role um, statement by saying, you know, no, men and women are, we're all people. We all just need to be good people. And mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily resonate either. I think that there mm-hmm. has to be a way to think about and talk about masculinity and manliness um, that celebrates sort of features that are not necessarily unique to men, um, but that we Mm -hmm. often still sort of do identify with masculinity um, and Mm -hmm. like actually sort of the the physical embodied reality of being male instead of female, whether it's Mm -hmm. strength, you know, whether it's positive attributes like um, responsibility for those around you. And we Mm -hmm. can acknowledge and celebrate these things without denigrating women, a positive vision of maleness can still talk about maleness as a thing without also saying that women are less than or women are worse. So it's obvious that whatever the manfluencers are offering up, you know, the reason they're resonating is because they're offering a particular masculinity script that very few other people or leaders or institutions are. I think as Christians, we would say <laughs> what they're offering is not actually the way forward for men in our lives to be truly flourishing and doing well. So what does kind of a redeemed masculinity look like? What's the positive vision to put forth? That's, <laughs> that, is, that is a big question. Um, so I do think that a positive vision of masculinity, you know, kind of does admit to the fact that there is such a thing and also talks about what those virtues might look like. And so when I mm-hmm. asked men, I, I wrote this essay, the response was surprisingly huge to the mm-hmm. point that I wrote a second piece, just asking men to write in about who their ideal of manhood was. Um, and the responses were incredible. It was everything from Jesus to Mr. Rogers to James Bond to LeBron James. Mr. Rogers came up a lot, actually. Mm. That encourages me. Right. That's the thing. The opposite of the manosphere. 
Right. But I mean, there were also like guys who were like, oh, my dad was like an army general and my grandfather like mm-hmm. served. But a lot of their examples had certain virtues in common, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So things like being strong for others, protecting those who were weaker than you, keeping your word and, and being responsible. Um, and we can still hold those out as, as positive ideals. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I think that the church can do that religious people can do in particular is live out those visions of masculinity and be role models. So one of the most important things I I found while researching this essay and talking to young men especially is so many of them didn't feel like they had mm-hmm. men they could look up to. As we talk about how much of a problem loneliness is, especially for yeah. men and lack of role models for younger men. There's so many men in the church or men who can be leaders and role models in their communities or for younger guys they know and who can be conscious about trying to present a redeemed version of masculinity in a a show-not-tell way um, to help Mm -hmm. bring others along with them. Mm -hmm. And I do think it does have to be men for the most part who do that. Like I I could write essays about masculinity all day, but I'm not a man. (laughs) And in Uh the end, who are you going to want to talk to about this? And part of the problem is, right, that there's been this emptying of men from those spaces. So you don't have very many men. You have way fewer men in pews than there used Mm -hmm. to be at churches. You have very few men who are teachers, certainly in elementary, but definitely even in high school, too. Um, So all of these, like, a lot of touch points where there might have been men in young boys or young teenage boys' lives. Like, they're not there. They're, like, hard to find. Yeah, Richard Reeves, um, he wrote this book of boys and men. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed him for my essay. Made this point. He was like, think of the average sort of middle-class kid who goes to public school who maybe grows up in a single parent home. That parent is more likely than not going Mm -hmm. to be his mother, not father. There are so few primary school teachers who are men. There are almost no preschool teachers who are men. Um, Again, with this educational shift, Mm -hmm. women are becoming doctors Mm -hmm. um, and social workers at higher rates than men. So his local doctor is likely to be a woman too. Like You could really go through kind of your entire childhood to young adulthood without ever really seeing a male figure of authority who you're in close contact with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who are you going to learn from? Your football coach is, you know, like a, a mom because men aren't volunteering to do that anymore. This is anecdotal, but I went to an ordination ceremony a few weeks ago. And I think there were seven people being ordained and six of them were women. Mm. And so I was like, oh, this is, that's very interesting. Like even within like in place, in churches where they are ordaining women, like it's attracting more women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think there is something to be said for churches and other organizations trying to find ways to bring men into roles that were not recently coded as male. Mm-hmm. Like, are there interventions that can make mm. teaching more attractive to men mm-hmm. or nursing mm-hmm. um, or, yeah, work in the church to show that they aren't, to, just to bring more men into contact with with other people, with mm-hmm. other men, with young people. Um, mm-hmm. That I think that that could be the work of 
of a church and a religious organization to try and supply those role models and also show men that they can be men, can be masculine um, in different roles than just Mm -hmm. sort of the obvious ones. This was a great conversation, Emba. <laughs> yeah. Tama, Christine, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you yeah. for having me. Thank it's you so an much. important one. I will admit that as more has come out in the last year or so about this masculinity crisis, you know, mm-hmm. tons of think pieces and books. I was kind of skeptical. (laughs) Okay. I felt like haven't men had their place, their time in the sun? Right. You know, women, women gain some equality in some areas, certainly not across the board, but like women start to really outpace men in certain areas or at least perform as well as men in others. And all of a sudden we're in this masculinity crisis. Like, right. Maybe maybe we can stop focusing on the men a little right. bit, but looking at all of the statistics together, coupled with anecdotes and stories of men, I am actually convinced that we are in a crisis, and I should care about that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, I think I think that I felt similarly when I first started hearing men complain, and and also still sometimes I'm like, okay, you're just being a little bit whiny. Like women have been putting up with being, with having lower wages, with having less education, with having less of a voice in every room for the history of the world. And in addition, like domestic violence and rape and abuse and being mm. married off at 13 and, 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 you know, and so I, I still feel a little bit of that, but I also, Mm-hmm. like you have been convinced that it's just better when everybody's better, you know? And then we've mm-hmm. got to figure out a way to be able to have a world where when when women are doing well, that men can also be doing well. And it does feel like maybe they're having to compete more for resources that in the past they didn't have to compete for. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not that it's not true that there's less maybe for men, but there's a little bit more for everybody else. But I don't know how to make that feel for men like they haven't lost and Mm -hmm. can still enjoy a good life. Mm -hmm. I think the challenge for people who do care about men's flourishing is what is a positive good that we can offer and a positive way forward without just falling back into like, Let's just go back to the way things were and then things will be okay. Yeah, and I think part of what Christine in her column discussed is that at the moment, mainly people are just pointing out the crisis and pointing out the problem and there's not Mm -hmm. a lot of solutions on the table. Mm -hmm. Um, So can we solve it, do you think, here, (laughs) now? I think we have. I think we already have if people just are listening to us. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of conversation. There's there's a lot of conversation in churchy circles in this moment. Like, okay, we're in this masculinity crisis. What can churches do to, like, yeah. save the men? And obviously, a lot of churches for a long time have felt the imbalance in mm-hmm. the numbers of men and women 
in terms of church membership. And Mm -hmm. that takes us back to Mark Driscoll and monster truck rally evangelism and kind of basically borrowing like the dumbest tropes from popular (laughs) culture. I mean, like, that's what men want. And I don't even think it really, I don't, I'd be curious to know whether it actually works for helping men or if it's just a way of signaling, we don't like a feminist church. The diagnosis of the problem among a lot of these types of men that you're describing is that the church became feminized, womanized. Mark Driscoll puts it another way, which I will not put it. Um, But that that's why there aren't men in the church. And so if Mm -hmm. they can just reclaim... Um, the, they could the just recre- reclaim the brohood, you know, of Jesus with his whip. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, Mark there's really loves the image of Jesus with his whip. Not so much the righteous uh, anger, not so much the image of Jesus is like, like a mother hen, I will gather the children of Israel. No, <laughs> it's like, no, images of God that are very explicitly feminine, right? And, you know, they, they get, they're really down on like the type of music that feels too, like it's made Jesus into your boyfriend. And I don't like that music. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I mean, this isn't brand new. Like I feel like the whole Braveheart era was part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does feel less and less like it's sort of a, like an aspirational or heroic masculinity that they're looking toward, but it's like, mm. A, a kind of scary masculinity that's like mm-hmm. violent and oppressive and bullying. And I mean, I think, you know, it's it's a Game of Thrones masculinity or something. Mm. With a little Jesus on top. Yeah. So if we agree that monster truck rallies, this like angry, violent masculinity image isn't the way forward, which I think we agree it's not. What is the vision of masculinity or what is the invitation that churches can offer? I mean, the answer is Jesus, right? <laughs> it's usually a safe answer. But it's but it's tough. I mean, I, I get that that doesn't, that that's not, that doesn't feel satisfactory in, you know, especially when like Jesus wasn't married and Jesus didn't like work mm-hmm. in a corporate culture or struggled to find a job in a tough job market. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's also, it's Jesus, but it's also like male role models. Mm. I don't know. Nothing sounds very satisfying. Yeah. Christine touched on the importance of role models mm-hmm. for a lot of men. Like if, if, if we don't have a universal script for what it means to be a man or a good man, at the very least, most people can think of specific men in their lives that they admire, like because they're generous mm-hmm. or they work hard to provide for other people or they stand up for justice or, I mean, any kind of, any number of men who embody virtue as men feels like a really good place to start. Like, I don't know what it means to be a man for all time, for all men, but I know that I want to be like that particular man. Mm-hmm. And so maybe the answer for the church is create environments that produce men of virtue so that there's at least modeling, you know, there's at right. least more examples of this is what a virtuous person, a virtuous Christian who is also a man looks like. And I think Christine touched on this and I know Reeves touches on this, like there are not a lot of men volunteering or working in spaces where there are children. Um, Mm -hmm. And so 
most children don't have a lot of men in their lives outside of their fathers if they have a father in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this to me is like a very long-term thing that will take longer than this generation to do. But I think part of what the solution is going to be and the challenge has been on the table for a long time is how do we make that kind of work Mm. feel appealing enough to men? How do we pay enough for men to do it Mm -hmm. Um, or, or valorize it enough for men to want to do it? Because what, what we've seen historically is that anytime women start taking on roles, like they become pediatricians or they become, elementary school teachers or they become um, speech therapists for children. Like any of those, anytime that women start coming into any kind of job, mm-hmm. it, the pay goes down and fewer men begin mm. to do it. And so like even a job like a doctor where there used to be a lot of doctors like that there are, or there used to be a lot of men as doctors, there's more women now and the pay is also dropping. Um, and so I think there's, like, could churches lead some kind of charge in that and helping mm-hmm. to where it's like, instead of it feeling like as that women need to take over men's roles and that's what equality really looks like. It's like, how do men also make inroads into taking into being in places where women traditionally were? Mm-hmm. More nurses. Also, that's More also, male nurses. Those are called nurses. Maybe the name would, if it was better, would appeal to more men. I don't know. Call it a great manspiration. Ooh. Saved by the City is a religion news service production. The producer is Jay Woodward and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Julia Wyndham and Elizabeth Joy Wyndham. Chaz Rousseau put together our look and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Roxy Stone. And Caitlin Beatty. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.